As we look at this passage of Scripture, we're continuing a series that I've called Your Life Script. And in a moment, I think you'll see, you'll tie in just a few thoughts around this day of Palm Sunday. But in chapter 15 of Matthew, verse 21, it begins, Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. And Jesus did not answer a word, so his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And the woman came and knelt before him and said, Lord, help me, she said. And he replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Now, did you note the last words of Jesus? He looks at her and says, Woman, you have great faith. The word is megas. It's where you would get the idea today when we talk about that was a mega big thing. You know, that kind of thing. This was mega faith. Your request is granted. It's quite literally, be it done for you as you desire. Or you could even use as you wish. It's an interesting translation. Be it done for you as you desire. I want to share with you this morning, your desires are incredibly important before God. It is out of your desires that are birthed and is birthed great faith. And your desires are also incredibly important for others because through your desires that are in line with what his will is, he begins to refine and move your desires into his will. And as you begin to tap into the will of God, you begin to also have an impact on others through the very thing that God is calling you to do and through you. Praise God when Jesus walked that road and they were standing with palm branches waving them at him that he knew what his deepest desire in the will of God was one of the reasons that he took so much time and got away with his father was that he might have those desires always being refined and kept into a place that are in line with the will of God so praise God this day that when we celebrate Palm Sunday Jesus when he walked among those palm branches his desire didn't turn in a kind of whimsy fanciful way toward those palms that were saying we want you to be a temporal king and he didn't go you know this feels really good this is kind of and then he desired to be just that temporal king but instead he knew deep in his heart what his desire was his desire was to give himself as a sacrifice so that as a, as a result of what he had done his life given over we might know life with god your desires are incredibly important one of the things that we find often, as I look at it in my own life and we look at the life of others, that a lot of times people don't have even a real good understanding of what they desire. A lot of times we don't even know that our desires can actually be hooked into the will of God. So I ask you to think as we go just to a moment of prayer here. What do you desire? What do you really long for? 
What is it in your heart that if you could tap into the will of God, because, you know, it's really difficult to have desires and to move against the very things that God wants. It's, it's a lot of work. It's not filled with a lot of peace. And it's, but to begin to tap into and to begin to understand what is the desire that God has placed in your heart that is in line with his will, that is, leads you into all kinds of good things. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you take these few moments and that you would address to us how desire can build into this great faith and what it can do and what it can be and and how it works. And God, just move, I pray, in our midst. I pray, use the words that come from my mouth and the thoughts that you have been delivering to me that, God, I wouldn't get in the way, but you would be so present in it for people who want you. In Christ's name, amen. So as we begin this story, it's really a story about desire, because as you look at verse 21, Jesus once again has a desire. In verse 21, you find that Jesus had a desire to withdraw. It says, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. We find back all the way in Matthew 14 that when you begin to look at this, Jesus was in an area and he was told at a certain point that his cousin, John the Baptist, had been killed. So he at that point felt great sadness. He was both man and and God, but in his humanity he felt this incredible sense of mourning and he wanted to get away. Not only did he want to get away so he could mourn, but he wanted to get away from the territory of Herod. So he crossed the lake, got to the other side. When he got to the other side, people started showing up and there were a mass of people, some 5,000 men besides women and children. So he taught for a little bit because compassion gripped his heart when he saw these people who were like sheep without a shepherd. So he begins to teach them. After he gets done teaching, he sees their famished. They've come from such distance. And he then feeds the 5,000. The 5,000 are so excited by this miracle and by this teaching and by the authority of this person. They believe he's the Messiah. They don't understand he's the Messiah to come that would go through Palm Sunday to a Good Friday so there would be an Easter. But they think he's a king who has come to set up a temporal earthly kingdom. And so they start to say, if you read in John, after the feeding of the 5,000, let's make him king. And the disciples who were just moments earlier saying, send the crowd away, now are saying, this is really good. So Jesus does what's not expected, often does what's not expected in our lives as he does in theirs. And he actually dismisses the crowd, sends the disciples off first on their own across the lake in a boat, dismisses the crowd then, and goes up into the mountain to get his desire in check with his father and as he's on the mountain he's praying he's he's beginning once again to say what is your will i see all this going on god help me refine this desire to move into your will to do the work that you've called me to do and so as he's praying he sees this storm come up the ship is being tossed and and it's turned and and he begins to see his disciples who are about to lose it he walks down goes walks on the water comes to them gets in the boat, it's calm, they go to the other side, he gets out, and as he gets out, a crowd begins to gather again. They begin to rub shoulders with him, they're touching him, people want to just grab his garment, and as they do, they're healed. And you have these Pharisees and teachers of the law who were come up from Jerusalem, the accreditation team from that place, as they look at Jesus, and they're really a little bit disgusted because here is this rabbi, supposedly this holy guy, who doesn't conform to the, to, the, to the traditions that they have set in place. And one of those is that he's letting people touch him, defiled people, people who are filled with illness and other things, grabbing hold of him. And they ask a certain question of another tradition and say, why, don't you, why do you not wash your hands like everyone else? And so Jesus gets done with that. When he's done with that, it says in verse 21, he left that place of Galilee and he then he went up. 
to a region called Tyre and Sidon. The first part that I want to share with you is in this map is just to show you where it's at. It's off the beaten track. If you look at these blue lines, that's the main roads that you would have coming through the land. Here these are kind of the smaller routes for Jesus who taught here, and this is probably where he was at. He went up this direction into this area. So he was leaving the hot, arid climate to go into the more cooler coastal climates. So what I kind of say is he was actually going, for the next slide, for a spring vacation, basically. I say that kind of jokingly, but, you know, that's the modern-day look. Just imagine with that not being there. They would go there, and they were there to relax, to debrief, to look at what's going on, to get their hearts centered again. If you want to look at another screen, the next one is, the, this is modern-day. Um, you see Beirut, Beirut is here, Sidon, in this whole area of Lebanon, Tyre. Where you have here is kind of where Israel is. So he's going way up into this area, which is now modern-day Lebanon. And if you look at it in context, you'll see then the next slide shows you the area. Here is kind of where he's at up in here. And if you just go up a little bit over here, Plymouth, Wyzetta is right up that direction. Um, see, Tyre was about 12 miles north of the Israeli border, and it's about 20 miles north if you keep going up to, to Sidon. And when you find this, it's about 50 miles out of the way on a mountainous path, tough to get to. Jesus wanted to get away. He had a desire to get alone and be with his God. What I want to share with you in these few moments is, is a couple things about mega great faith and what it involves. And we think of faith and we usually disconnect um, it from what is essential to it, and that's desire. You don't believe for things that you don't deeply desire. Think about that for a second. You don't have faith for things that are just kind of so-so. You have faith in a God for things often that you feel deep in your heart and you move towards that. Well, great faith always involves knowing what you want. It involves a sense of understanding what you deeply desire. This woman knew what she wanted. There was no doubt about it. If you look at verse 22, you can see a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. She wanted mercy for her daughter. Her daughter, who was suffering terribly, we're told. We're not told what it is. We're not told whether she was blind or deaf or mentally disturbed or ill. Because because demonization, this influence of demonic spirits on the lies that we believe that affect our will and influence it, have the ability to create over long-term physical problems. We don't know what it is. But we're told that her suffering was terrible and that it had some kind of demonic relation to it. And I don't like the word demon possession the way it's translated here because the word in the Greek is demonitsai, which means to be demonized, which means it has the influence, which can go all the way to possession, which when we think of possession, we think of like a house and something locally. That kind of imagery sometimes philosophically isn't even the best because really what you talk about is we have angels and we have demons, we have this world that we live in, this, this excluded middle that we don't often see, and these kind of beings have the ability, it says, to cause us, even using through others, for us to believe certain things our beliefs determine how we think and what we think if we think lies can determine things that will eventually cause our will to be moved in a certain direction and through that can create problems i'll just say that and not go any further because what happens in her case is this is happening she knows that she can't do anything about it the gods of her area have done nothing she then as a result of not being able to do anything goes and in her mind goes from what she's heard there is a person and just happens to be jesus is in her area 
And this crisis creates within her a sharpened, focused desire. Often knowing what you want, which leads to great faith, is caused by crisis. That's often what happens. We go into a time where we begin to realize that through difficulty, it begins to refine in our hearts what we deeply desire. There is a sense that when you find tears happening, those very tears that may happen externally of your eyes are the very tears in your own soul that through that cause the eyes of your own heart to begin to see most fully what you want in life. And what's most important. And I think this is what's happening in her own life. Have you, ever, have you ever gone through a crisis where the pain kind of clarifies what your priority is for the moment or what it might be for your life? I have uh, this last Wednesday with my wife. We had flown to Phoenix and we had to take a late flight because we were just there for a couple of days. We were involved in an event in the Scottsdale area. We got in around 11.15 p.m. their time, which is about 1.15 a.m. our time. All I wanted to do is get our luggage, get to the hotel, and get some sleep. That was kind of foremost on my mind at that point. Well, we waited at the luggage carousel. My wife's bag came, and we waited, and other people's bags came, and we waited, and, and no, no, my bag wasn't there, and soon it was just the two of us, and it still said luggage arriving. I didn't see any coming down, so I decided to go over to the luggage office. That time it's gotten later. I really just wanted to get some sleep, but now my desire was changing. This caused a crisis, and my deeper desire was closed because I knew that the next day I needed more than jeans and a smelly shirt. So I went to the lady at the office. I said, when can I get this luggage? So our next flight comes in at 8.30. That should get there about noon, and maybe it could be 4 to 6. We get 4 to 6 hours and going on like that, and I'm going, you know, ma'am, I'd like to get sleep, but right now I'm most concerned about what I most desire is some clothes for tomorrow because I have some events that I need some clothes for. And she goes, oh, that's fine. You can get some clothes. And I said, well, you don't understand. We're staying at the Four Seasons, and at the Four Seasons, a pair of socks, $50. And she goes, oh, that's okay. You have a $500 limit. I thought, wow, that's cool. <laughs> so, as you can see, no, um... <laughs> I looked there and said, really? And that little crisis kind of clarified for me some things that I thought I wanted. Now I really wanted. I just needed some clothes for some things that were going to happen the next day that were important with regard to the event and the things that we'd be involved in. Have you ever had that happen in your own life? You might be in it right now where you're in a place of crisis or maybe you think of a time of crisis in your life. I was talking with a couple after the service and they grabbed me and they said, you know what, when you were talking about that, it's so related to our life. It was just a few years ago, and he shared with his wife, went through this illness there at Sister Kenny, and she, she said, yeah, when I'm sitting at Sister Kenny, I'm sitting in my bed, I'm thinking about our houses, I'm thinking our retirement accounts, I'm thinking all these things, and all I could think about is I really, really desire for my kids to know God and for my grandchildren to know God, and I really desire for a good relationship for all. And she's just sharing her desires, which was really amazing that this illness created within her a new sense of the reality of what she most deeply desired. And we get so caught up living our life and all these other things, but sometimes God allows us to go into a crisis situation, and through that we begin to say, oh, that's what I really desire. Some of you may be in marriages where you're going through difficult times right now, and if you're like me in the marriage, it's always that you're praying, you're saying, God, would you change my wife? You know, that kind of thing. 
But what I've really found about desires when you stay in that crisis and they come up enough, what eventually begins to happen is what God does is say, you know, I have a deeper desire that's more in line with my will. It's not really about this person changing so you can have a better relationship. It's really about you. It's really about what I want for you. It's about you moving into my will so that you have the kind of heart that moves into a place of humility and through it there's grace and there's understanding and there's a willingness to live at a place where you know how loved and valued you are. And when you live in that relationship with me, you can then have those kind of relationships with others and guess what? That'll take care of the thing with your wife like that. I don't know what crisis you're in, but God allows for you. And some of you are living out life scripts and you don't know what you want. And I feel bad because I realize there are some people, because of the environment you've even been raised in, you weren't even allowed to know that some people, get this, some people, and you may be one of them, are born into situations where you weren't wanted by your mother or your father, and you've never understood that someone really wants you, so you have no idea of that, the fact that you can be wanted, that you have a God who wants you. And we are a people, hopefully, that love people in such a degree, no matter what generation, no matter what race, no matter where they might be, we will love them like God loves them because they need to know they're wanted so they can want what God wants. So here's what's kind of interesting. When you begin to understand how important your desire is and how God will refine it, sometimes over time, he will then allow your desire to be tested so that it will become a mega faith. Because mega faith, great faith, involves going after what you want, not just knowing what you want, but then beginning to go after what you want. This is, I think, what most impressed Jesus in this passage of Scripture. At this point, as you read this passage of Scripture, this is what really gets Jesus. This woman not only knew what she wanted, she went after it with everything within her. Because she knew the only place this desire that she had in her heart could be filled and met by this person, Jesus. So nothing was going to stop her. She had a view of this one who was to come as the Messiah, who was merciful and gracious and good. She could only hold that conception of her, him in her mind. So the first thing you see is, is kind of interesting. That as you begin to get in touch with some of those desires, you may find the very desire you think God placed in your heart. And you begin to go towards it and you begin to start moving towards it. You'll find there's obstacles. There's tests. There is this fact that God will take you and begin to stretch your faith. Because great faith is tested and it becomes made precious and genuine through these kind of obstacles. She was a Gentile. She lived in a Gentile territory. She was a woman. She was a Canaanite. Mark says that it was a Syrophoenician. He knew she was on the coastal line, so he says Syrophoenician. Here we read in Matthew, he says Canaanite, because he wants you to know it's not only that she is a woman living as a Gentile in a Gentile territory and all these obstacles are standing against her, but one other thing you want to add to it is she was a Canaanite. The Canaanites were the people who were in the land before Israel marched through with Moses and Joshua. Before they came, the Canaanites lived there. They were to come in and they were to take possession of the land. They were even supposed to go up as far as Tyre and Sidon. So because of their disobedience, their lack of faith, their not mega faith, they didn't move into that place. They didn't desire after what God wanted, so they never moved there. And so here's living a Canaanite woman who comes to Jesus, who is an enemy, who was on the land before the people came, and she begs to him, could you do something for my daughter? And look what Jesus does. The first test. He's silent. I, I read scripture, and I don't know how you can't believe this to be true, because people couldn't make this stuff up about someone you would think should be a great savior. Verse 23, she did not answer a word. Fourth century preacher Chrysostom said, very interesting, the word of God said no word. 
Jesus was silent. Imagine the scene. She is after him. She's respectful enough that she's standing behind him and she's yelling and she's shouting. She's begging and she's crying. And this is going on for a while and Jesus continues to walk. He's talking with his disciples or he's saying something, nothing to her. And I really believe you have to ask yourself why. Because Jesus, I think, was doing a couple things. He was stretching her faith. He was calling out her faith. It could also be that he was doing something with the disciples. He was using this very incident to reveal their hearts. Because if you know what they do, they want to say, send her away. He was showing the cold-heartedness. Sometimes when we move into a desire, it, it does a couple things. It reveals how much we really want what we're after. And it reveals also the hearts of people around us because it can show a cold hardness that says, ah, oh, your desire isn't worth it, etc. But here's silence. Have you ever done that? Have you ever come before God and you're starting to move into it and you've got this desire, you think God's place is in your heart and you're moving to it and you've got this pleading in your voice and you're crying out to God and He's silent. I want you to know the seeming silence of Jesus or God towards you is not his cold-heartedness, but it rather might be his, it, it may be more our inability to see what he might be doing at the moment. And it, I mean, he maybe has a better plan that he's fashioning and causing to happen, but in the process he's stretching your faith to trust more fully that he is good and he is merciful, even though you hear nothing from him. Well, the second test is this. From silence, she is now told to be silenced. It's really interesting. Verse 23, so his disciples come to Jesus and they urge Jesus, would you send her away for she keeps crying after us? Can you imagine trying to have conversation with this person in the back of your ear just yelling? Tell her to go. But somehow the disciples seem like sending people away. I think sometimes we do in the church too. You will have all kinds of people in this process as you move into desire trying to send you away. You can't do that. God doesn't hear such cries. He's not into your desire. You'll hear voices, often voices of authority from your past. Parents, teachers calling from your past saying, you're crazy. You're a bother. You're stupid. You don't deserve this. You're not worthy of that, which none of us are worthy of any of the goodness and mercy of God, are we? Well, the next obstacle gets even tougher. It's almost as if Jesus is saying to her, you're not important. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine your own feelings, how you would be in this situation? First, Jesus is silent. Now his disciples silence you. And the third thing comes along and Jesus does respond. But when Jesus responds, he almost makes it sound as if you're not important. I think this is the one that stops a lot of people with their desires. Why should I really pursue God in light of what I desire? Because there's earthquakes and tsunamis and there's war in the Middle East. There's hunger in Africa. There's people near me who are ill. And why would this little desire of God care about it? But verse 24 and 25 says, He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. It's almost as if he's saying to her, Sorry, you're a Jew. Then you're, sorry, you're not a Jew. You're a Gentile. But when you look at what Jesus was saying, he was merely stating what was true. He may have been saying it for his disciples who thought they didn't get why Jesus was going up into Tyre into this region. Because really, honestly, if you were going to start a ministry and you're going to change the world, you know by this time, if you're Jesus, that what was happening in Israel, there was not a lot of faith. The true faith, the only other time he says there's real faith, great faith in Matthew, is to a guy who's a 
Gentile soldier. So if you want great faith, you really want to do a work, you head up in that area. So maybe Jesus is saying this even for his disciples, and yet at the same time drawing even further faith out of her. Because really his mission was first to the Jews. But the woman, it says, came and knelt before him. And the word knelt is the same word that is used for worship. It's this idea that she got on her hands and knees. She actually put her head into the ground. And she had her head into the ground in a worshipful state. And she said, Lord, help me. That's a pretty powerful thing when you have a person at your feet crying out, Lord, help me. And as she's there crying out and this obstacle's before, she still pushes through that because she desired so much. What I think she desired more than just even her daughter, she desired an encounter with the living God. And she knew that this God was merciful and gracious. So the next obstacle is one that says this idea that you can't demand anything. Not only is it in her mind because she's been put off because this is really not a priority in, in what Jesus said, but now the next is you can't even demand this of God. She had no right in a sense of this Gentile coming to Jesus. So Jesus makes the next statement. And he replies to her and he says, is it right? In fact, it isn't right to take the children and their bread and to toss it to their dogs, which you kind of go, wow, that's a real slap in the face. That's got to leave a mark. Ouch. Well, there's two Greek words for dog. There is the word which is an unwild, a wild, unruly pack of dogs that run, that are vicious, that that. Um, the Jews would often talk about the Gentiles and he'd call them those kind of dogs because those kind of dogs had no sense of a creator. There's, and so when they would speak of the people who didn't have this true and living God, they would speak about these people as being like those kind of dogs that were like a wild pack that lived without any sense of their creator. I was in um, Japan. I had a chance a number of years back to speak with a pastor, uh, Dr. Ken Horiuchi, and in his church, he had a church of a thousand, which would be like a mega church here, like 20,000 in Japan, and then he had a number of other churches, and I spoke in those different churches. And at one point, we had lunch together, and he was sharing with me, he asked me this question kind of out of the blue. He said, he said do your people pray before they eat? Well, that's an interesting question. I said, yeah, I think, I think some of them do. I go, well, why do you ask? He said, well, because in Japan, and he wasn't trying to be mean to people in Japan. He was just saying in Japan, so many people, they don't know there's a God. They're like dogs that when they see food, you ever seen a dog when they're hungry? They just, I got a retriever that if it smells food, it's on your hand. He said, in a sense, he said, they're kind of like dogs because what they don't do is they don't stop and they don't thank God and bless him, their creator, for the very fact that they've got food. That's originally how that word was taken, but it was meant pejoratively. But listen to this. That's not the word Jesus is using. Jesus is using more the idea of a pet. He's basically saying, you know, when you're in a home, you feed the children first. So in the economy of God's revelation, he had come first to Abraham and through Abraham to the people, to the Jews, so that when he came to the Jews, there would be a light and a model to the world so that it would come to all the Gentiles. And she knew that understanding. She knew that teaching. And so he basically says, you know, you feed in a a home, you feed the people first. And then and then she says to him, this incredible kind of presses into him further. Yes, Lord, she said. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. What a driven desire for a God, knowing he is merciful and gracious and good and loving. She even says, you know, even in your home, good people like you take the scraps from the table usually and feed your pets. 
And she's got this picture of this God who is going to meet her need, and she's not going to let go because this desire has been placed in her heart. Part of the reason it's placed in her heart is for this, too. She knew that this Messiah would come, and she had heard reports about this Messiah. People had, at one point from Tyre and Sidon, had gone down to the ministry of Jesus. People were returning with reports of miracles of this person who's coming. Now she hears he's in town. So she knows that the promise of God that has been placed within the desire of her heart would be met only in him. So she was after him and would not let go. And so I ask you a second as you think about it, what are the obstacles, the barriers in your own faith? What is it? Do you even know your desire? And as you begin to get to know that and you move through that place where you begin to get to know that, do you just get put off after the first test? You see, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not what? Seen. God knows that, and his deep desire is to build mega faith in people, not just they can have faith, but mega faith in the fact that he's a good and loving and gracious and merciful God. And he basically says, if you believe that, then you'll go with true faith after what he's placed in your heart as a desire. And you will not stop. So great faith involves what I call praying and never giving up, because that's really what this is all about. She comes, come, she's almost like in this prayer, kind of help me, Lord, help me, have mercy on me. I, I appeal to you and to you only. I have no right. I can't demand it. I realize mine is not the most important of all the things you're doing. I understand that people want to silence me. I understand that you've even been silent in this occasion, but I still believe that you are God that answers, and I will pray and I will not give up. I had a class with a... Professor Dallas Willard, who, who shared uh, just a number of things that were just um, helpful, very godly man. At one point, he was talking to the class, kind of off the cuff, and he said, you know what, prayer is 90% desire. I went, 90%, that's really interesting. He said, prayer is 90% desire. Do you notice in, in the New Testament, it says that Elijah, it says in the Greek that he prayed in his praying, which means he prayed earnestly, which means he had deep desire when he went to God and prayed for it to rain one time. And he says 90% desire. And then he, he said, let me illustrate it for you. How many of you have dogs as pets? A lot of us raised How many have had dogs? Let me ask you, how many have had dogs as a pet? Have you ever had a dog that sits at the table very quietly and just looks up at you like this when you're eating? I mean, seriously. Think about it for a second. It pulls on your heart. And most of you are pretty good and gracious at times, and every once in a while, when your wife isn't looking, you flip something, right? Some sneaky kids know how to take the beans and go like this. You know what? One of the reasons God wants you to know your desires, to know what you want, and then to go after it when it's in line with his will is because he has things he wants to do through you. He has things he wants to do through us when he, our desire comes around one thing and one thing only. And that is that God would show up in such a way that our lives would be full and from our full lives it would flow out to others that they might know he is good and gracious and merciful. Let's pray. Father, there are some people here... I know who don't have a view of you as a good and gracious and merciful God, so they've never come to you with their desires. In fact, their desires sometimes go contrary to yours because they think you're a harsh and a mean person. And I had asked God right now, even in this time, even through this word, it would ring in their hearts again and again that you are a good and loving and gracious God, so gracious that even as we look at this Friday, you would take their sin, you would take my sin, and you would do something with it so we could live in a daily encounter with you. So God... 
free the desires of the people here, their desires. Get the, I pray they would know them and go after them, that you would receive great glory in Jesus' name. Amen.